So maybe you know the official DSM-5 symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder, but did you know that anxiety is also correlated with binge eating, people pleasing, perfectionism, sensory sensitivities, and a whole host of other things that aren't official symptoms, but are incredibly common among people with anxiety. The first is sensory sensitivities. There is a lot of really compelling evidence that many or even most people with anxiety have heightened sensory reactions to most things. So that's simply just your five senses, sight, touch, taste, sound, and smell. And it might be all of them for some people, or it might be really tuned into like one or two of them for certain people. But people with anxiety experience their senses more strongly in many cases. One of the most common examples of this is something called misophonia. Misophonia is an intense sensitivity to sounds, and most often this is repetitive, non-communication sounds made by other people. So think sounds like chewing or humming or even like rocking back and forth in a squeaky chair or clicking, you know, snapping fingers, things like that. For people who have misophonia, every type of human sound is interpreted by the brain as an attempt to communicate. And so when somebody is like eating a loud, crunchy food, it's, it feels to a person with misophonia like that person is just like saying a nonsense word to them over and over and over again and intentionally trying to irritate them or annoy them or bother them. People with misophonia often, at least internally, react to these repetitive sounds with a feeling of anger or even like rage. That may not be an external reaction that other people can see, but inside these sounds create an emotional reaction that is so intense it is almost unbearable. Other sensory sensitivities associated with anxiety can include visual sensitivities. And that can either be like sensitivity to light or certain light conditions. It can also be sensitivity to movement. So a lot of people, have some level of like micro movements that they do regularly, right? Like bouncing their leg up and down or just messing around with their hands or stuff like that, right? For someone with anxiety, they tend to lock in on those movements and it's like, it's the, it becomes this stimuli that they have to process and it takes up a lot of their brain power and it, it, it distracts them and it's hard to think about anything else and it, it is draining. It's exhausting because they feel like they can't take their attention away from it and they can't redirect their attention to something they might want to. So in like a full day, what this ends up feeling like for someone with anxiety who has some of these sensory sensitivities is it basically feels like you're constantly being assaulted by the world. You're constantly being forced to process unwanted stimuli and it's draining and it's frustrating and it's angering and ultimately we just want a break. We just want a period of time in our day where we don't have to process sensory stimuli. We don't often get those breaks from the world. Another very common correlate of anxiety is overeating or binge eating. Not a lot of people know about this one, but the symptoms of a low blood sugar episode or of being very hungry are actually really similar to some of the symptoms of anxiety. For example, difficulty concentrating, lightheadedness or dizziness, short-temperedness or irritability, racing heart. These could all be symptoms of hunger or anxiety. And sometimes people's brains misinterpret their anxiety as hunger. And so when they get anxious, on a, at least a subconscious level, their brain thinks, oh, I need food. I must not have eaten enough. And so they eat. And since they weren't actually necessarily hungry and what they were feeling was anxiety, the anxiety doesn't go away. 
after they eat or while they're eating, like it would if it was hunger. And their brains interpret that as, oh, I'm still feeling this. I must still be hungry. I must not have satisfied my need for food enough yet. And they will often keep eating because they're expecting this feeling to go away. And this isn't necessarily like a literal critical conscious thought. They may not actually like be thinking, I am hungry. I have not eaten enough food. It's a feeling inside because a lot of our actions in a day are automated based on what we feel inside. We don't actually consciously think about every decision we make. In fact, we don't consciously think about most decisions we make. So we often end up eating as just a basic response to a stimuli or a feeling inside. And it's very, very common for people with anxiety to overeat or even binge eat, especially during periods of time or periods of their day when their anxiety is higher because their body is misinterpreting the physical cues of anxiety as hunger. Something else that people with anxiety often do that not a lot of people know about or understand is that they freeze. And what I mean by they freeze is they get in this place where they have a hard time initiating an action or making a decision. Being in an anxiety response is a very primitive, reflexive state. Because when you're in an anxiety response, your body thinks you're in danger and it's prepared to act quickly and rapidly without thinking. So when you end up in a situation where you actually do have to think about a decision, you're not mentally in a state where that's an easy thing for you to do. Your brain has diverted resources, blood, oxygen, and caloric energy, away from the parts of your brain that make logical conscious decisions, because those parts of your brain are slower, and when you're in danger, you can't afford to be slow, and diverted them towards a more reactive part of your brain that responds to danger or threat or immediate sensory input. So if you're in a heightened emotional state, preparing, living on edge for some kind of danger that hasn't happened yet and probably isn't going to happen, and someone says, hey, what do you want for lunch? That's really not a decision that your brain can make very well in that state because that's more of a, I need to be in touch with myself and think about what I want, think about what it sounds good and what kind of uh, expenditure am I up for type of situation. Your brain is not prepared to do something like that when you're in a chronic anxiety response. And so you often get somebody who just says, I don't know, to almost every question. And they're not, they're not being difficult. They're not trying to be a pain. They genuinely are having trouble or maybe even inability making that type of decision because of the state of functioning that their brain is in at that time. That also includes internal decisions. Like let's say you're sitting on the couch and you're trying to decide, should I get up and go clean? Should I go take a shower? Should I go to bed? Again, these are decisions that require some level of critical thinking, long-term planning, maybe even behavioral inhibition, like making yourself do something you don't really wanna do. The part of your brain that is able to do those things is not really very online during a period of intense heightened anxiety. And so making decisions like that can actually be impossible when you're in this prolonged fight or flight, hypervigilant, anxiety driven state. You aren't able to do it because that part of your brain's not really online. So you're expecting yourself to do something that's essentially impossible in that state until you're able to bring your anxiety down by using some kind of tool or resource. Not to mention when we're living with chronic anxiety, we actually end up having to make more decisions than most people do anyway, because we think about and consider things that many people do automatically. We have a deeper level of conscious decision-making about a lot of things because things make us anxious that don't make other people anxious. And if something makes you anxious, you have to actually think, should I do that thing or not? The littlest things, things that a lot of people don't even have any conscious thought or decision-making about become 
decision points and forks in the road for people with anxiety. Like, should I brush my teeth or not? Most people don't think about that. Most people just do it. For somebody with anxiety, it requires a conscious expenditure of resources to make that decision because every decision you make feels like it has the potential of going wrong or blowing up in your face or causing some kind of problem, even the most minuscule thing that you can think of. And so when we're constantly making decisions all day long about the littlest things you can imagine, at some point we get decision fatigue and we're frazzled and we're sick of it and we just wanna be on autopilot for the rest of the day. And we get to a point where we really can't make any more conscious decisions on that particular day. And that results in sort of this shutdown, freeze type response that you might see. Another very common and very easily missed correlate of heightened anxiety is perfectionism or a high need for achievement. The reason this is easily missed is because this actually looks good on the outside to other people because it often shows up in school or at work or with athletics. Many people with anxiety are actually extremely high performers in whatever domains are important to them because perfectionism is often a coping mechanism for anxiety. It ends up being a maladaptive coping mechanism, but it usually works for a while. And so if you see somebody who has you know, straight A's or maybe even like beyond straight A's and is performing incredibly well at their job and is on you know, two different student councils and is you know varsity whatever sport they play, your immediate assessment of that person is not gonna be, oh, I bet that person has a mental health problem because functionally, they look like the peak of humanity, right? They're doing everything a person could possibly do. But that's actually kind of unusual. And most people don't function at that level. And I'm not saying that everybody who functions at a level that high has anxiety, but you might be surprised by how many of them do because that's a level of performance that is very difficult to sustain without some type of pressure. And for people living with chronic anxiety disorders, there is an endless amount of pressure and it comes from within and there's no end to it. When we have anxiety, we usually feel like if I can control everything and make sure everything is up to these really rigid, really heightened standards, that dramatically reduces the chances of something going horribly wrong in my life. I'm less likely to fail, I'm less likely to screw up, I'm less likely to be judged harshly by others. So if I can just keep everything so good that nobody can possibly criticize me for it or judge me for it or find anything wrong with it, it sometimes does on a moment to moment basis reduce our anxiety and make us feel better. We often also, for that exact same reason, have difficulty delegating tasks to other people. So doing group projects or being in management roles for people who have this perfectionistic type of anxiety is really, really difficult, like bordering on torture because it feels like your life, like literally, it feels like your life is in other people's hands. Because it feels like if I don't do this to my standards, something is gonna go horribly wrong, and now this other person is partially responsible for me meeting my own standards. And because this other person might not be living with perfectionistic anxiety, they might not approach this the same way you would, and it just feels like you've lost all control and everything's about to fall apart. So for people with this perfectionistic anxiety, this is something that's often not noticed until later in life because usually until this person reaches a point where they can no longer sustain this incredibly high level of achievement across the board, everyone just thinks they're amazing. But at some point, 
life will get so busy, so complicated, so difficult that this person will not be able to sustain those standards. That point usually comes in late adolescence or early adulthood. So think like last couple of years of high school, first couple of years of college, first job, when relationships start to get a little more serious, as this person's roles and responsibilities just continue to expand in life, there are now more and more things that they have to reach this level on. And what usually happens is at some point, they just can't. And rather than slowly reducing one thing, because they've never learned how to do that. They've never had to. This has been their coping mechanism and their way of dealing with their anxiety for, what, 20 years or something like that, right? They don't know how to back off from that. They don't know how to dial that down. And so they just keep trying. They just keep trying to be perfect at everything. And eventually, it just collapses like a house of cards. And then everyone around this person is like, what happened? You were doing so good. You were amazing at everything. How, how did this happen? And they don't realize that that's what caused it. That that perfectionism, that that high need for achievement is what caused the collapse. Because until that moment, it looked really good to everyone on the outside who didn't know what this person was feeling to drive that achievement. Another really common correlate with anxiety that you don't necessarily hear a lot of people talk about or see a lot of documentation on is picky eating. Many people with anxiety have a lot of concern or even fear about new or unpleasant experiences. They're going to be typically more sensitive to unpleasant sensory stimuli or things not going the way they planned or being disappointed or being frustrated than a so-called average person. And so any new experience has a, an element of fear or threat to it. And one of the areas you see this the most is with food. You'll often, people with anxiety will often get in food ruts. And, it can, and, and this can look a little bit like somebody with an eating disorder, potentially on the surface at least, where they'll just have a few safe foods that they'll probably eat over and over and over again. And it might be types of foods, you know, maybe like burgers, for example, or it may even be so specific as like, I will only eat at certain fast food restaurants or being like super brand loyal with something like a frozen pizza because they don't trust that stepping out of their comfort zone will result in a good experience. Usually, we've had a lot of experiences with stepping out of our comfort zone and not having a great experience and being disappointed or experiencing something unpleasant. And what we learn from that is it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk to step out of that comfort zone and do something that has the potential to be extremely unpleasant. So I'm going to stick with what I know works. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to stay with what I'm comfortable with, and I'm not going to mess with that too often. People with anxiety may also have a kind of a heightened scrutiny of their food. Like you might notice that someone with anxiety examines their food closely before eating it or notices little things more, like if there's just like a little piece of it that's overcooked or undercooked or something like that, that someone who doesn't have anxiety might not even notice or might not even care about. For somebody who does have anxiety, not only are they gonna notice that, that may actually ruin the meal for them. If there's something that's out of place or not quite right, they can lose their entire appetite because their minds start to catastrophize that. And they have thoughts like, well, if this is wrong, what else is wrong? How much do I trust the person who prepared this meal? Am I sure this is even safe to eat? Do I think this is even gonna be good? They quickly kind of start to spiral with this little bit of information that suggests all is potentially not well, and it becomes a very, very unpleasant experience for them to even think about eating this food. And sometimes that's just like a moment-to-moment -moment basis where that particular meal gets ruined for them, Sometimes it generalizes. Sometimes, you know, if, if they eat at a restaurant and have one bad experience at that restaurant, they'll never return. 
And even if that bad experience was like, there was a piece of my burger or my bun that was crusty, like they have now lost faith and lost trust in that restaurant. And so their, their window of places or foods that they feel comfortable eating just continuously shrinks and becomes very narrow. And this can be really frustrating to other people in their lives who don't necessarily understand how aversive or how unpleasant these experiences are. And I see a lot of parents with kids who are picky eaters try the strategy of like, this is what I've made for you. And if something about it is objectionable to you, I'm not gonna make anything else. So you can either just go hungry or like you have to sit here until you finish it. If that person actually has anxiety and that's the reason that they're struggling with this food, just so you know, those tactics won't work. It, it won't matter because a person cannot just override their anxiety because of consequences. If that's what's driving the behavior, then that strategy is no different than if you had someone with a fear of public speaking and you said, you have to go up in front of these 400 people and you can't have dinner until you do it. All that does is raise the stakes and make the experience more stressful because now there's a consequence attached to it. And that consequence is food, which is really important, right? So all that does is make the situation feel even more anxiety provoking, which increases resistance to the behavior. So it's completely counterproductive to do that. There are many other correlates of anxiety, but there's just one more I wanna talk about today, which is over apologizing and or people pleasing. For many people with anxiety, any level of argument or like social disharmony or unrest between either themselves and people they care about or even between two other people that they care about and doesn't even involve them is almost unbearable. And so people with anxiety tend to be uh, peacekeepers and people pleasers because taking the blame for something that is not completely their fault or apologizing when they maybe didn't do anything wrong or at least weren't the primary antagonist in a situation actually causes them less distress overall than dealing with that feeling of like this person is upset, this person is unhappy or their relationship is not good. And so we're constantly trying to just keep the peace between everybody, not just ourselves and other people, but often just all people because that sensation, like, like it's, it's tangible, it's palpable to someone with anxiety, that tension between other people, they can feel it on a level that not everybody can. And it's so aversive and it's so unpleasant and it's so distracting that it feels almost impossible to go on with our lives until that situation, until that tension is resolved. So we will often do anything to deal with that tension and try to solve it. Another reason we tend to be people pleasers is sometimes we don't think that we have a lot to offer people. We have a lot of anxiety about who we are. You know, am I, am I good enough to be in relationships? Am I good? Do I deserve to be liked? Do I deserve to be loved? And so if we deal with those doubts or those insecurities and someone more or less tells us, whether directly or indirectly, hey, if you do this thing for me or with me or whatever it may be, I will like you a lot more. That can be something that's very hard for us to say no to because we want to be liked, but we don't necessarily have confidence that we're good enough to be liked or deserve to be liked. So sometimes we feel like we have to do what other people want us to do or expect us to do in order to be liked because we might feel like that's the only thing I have to offer you really. That's the only thing I'm confident in is, you know, I can follow instructions. I can follow orders. I don't know if there's anything else good about me, but I know I can do that. And that's how I get liked by other people. And that's how I earn my place in the world. Psychology is a constantly evolving field. We do not know everything yet. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. 
I'm gonna keep this channel going to constantly keep things updated to try to raise awareness of what some of these things can look like in yourselves or in other people that not everyone knows about. So I hope you found great value in this video. If you did, I hope you'll consider subscribing, leaving me a comment, throwing me a thumbs up, and just letting me know. See you next time.